This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. Uh, so this morning, uh, we are continuing our sermon series on Daniel. And we have been journeying through this already for two weeks. This is the third week in this series. Uh, this morning, particularly, we'll be picking up uh, the last bit of chapter one. And then for the rest of the summer, we're going to be going at about a pace of a chapter at a time as we walk through uh, this book together. And I've shared this every week, but I will share it again. Uh, One of the reasons that we choose uh, to do this as a church family is that by going through a book of the Bible this summer, uh, there are several benefits for us. Uh, One is, uh, for many of us, uh, the summer changes our rhythms. It changes our patterns. It changes the places that we are, the people whom we're with. Uh, Traditional school actually finished its last day of school on Friday. I saw several families uh, that were excited. I saw several teachers who were even more excited. But the rhythm has begun to change. And so in that change of rhythm, uh, we get a chance to together be in a consistent pattern of simply walking through Scripture as the body. And so whether you are here uh, every week, whether you are traveling to be with family or to be on vacation, uh, whatever it may be this summer, uh, we get a chance to consistently walk through Scripture and be connected as the body wherever we might be. I would encourage you, if you don't already, if you do miss a Sunday, if you happen to not be here, uh, I encourage you to check out the podcast each week, which again, not because anything that I say is so brilliant, uh, but because the work that we do allows us to stay connected uh, throughout this summer uh, as the body body of Christ. Uh, So what we're going to begin is we're simply going to jump in this morning. I'm going to invite you again to do what we've done every week and just open with me to Daniel chapter 1. And if you don't have your own Bible with you, I encourage you there are pew Bibles in your pews this morning. Uh, Flip there. Again, there is no shame in using the table of contents. Daniel is not the easiest book to find. It is tucked away in the back of the Old Testament. And so, 819. Sterling tells me it's 819. So he's going to give you even a cheat sheet. Sterling is your table of contents this morning. And so, page 819 in your pew Bibles, we'll be going into Daniel 1. I'm going to catch us up very briefly to kind of make sure we set context in case you've not been following the podcast or if you've not been in here with us. Uh, Daniel is set in a time where the southern kingdom... Of, of, of Israel, which was called Judah at the time, uh, was in exile. Uh, Babylon, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar particularly, had, a, had attacked the southern kingdom and taken from it in victory thousands of Jewish people uh, into Babylon. Babylon, of course, is in where we know today as modern-day Iraq. And so Daniel and Hananiah and Azariah and Mishael, along with thousands of other uh, Judahites or Jewish people, were transplanted from Israel, from Jerusalem particularly, over into Babylon and is in those spaces. Uh, Last week we talked through the first seven verses and we particularly paid attention to the way that Nebuchadnezzar is beginning to acculturate the people. He did not simply want to defeat them, but to make them become like the Babylonians. And so he sought out royal family members, uh, Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, these four, along with others to serve in his courts, and then began to teach them the language of the Babylonians, uh, the language of the Chaldeans as as it's shared in Scripture. And then he began to uh, feed them the food and the wine of the culture, and ultimately uh, he changed their names. Uh, Daniel became Belteshazzar, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah became Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And in that space, they began to be transformed. And last week we spent a lot of time on the value of a name and how important that was. In fact, do you have a picture, John? This week in in our staff house, you see the picture. Marcus McClellan, Marcus is our new youth director uh, here on the Apex campus, and he uh, sent out an Instagram picture to all of his youth and said uh, to have people tell their stories of their names. And so there are names written across uh, the wall. Uh, That's a whiteboard wall. It's not just on the paint. It's on a whiteboard wall. 
uh, of our staff house where people just told their stories. I know many of you told me that you went home that day and you shared the stories of where your name came from or, or how you were named or how you named your children. And in those stories, we found out a lot about who we are. And so for Nebuchadnezzar, changing their names, teaching them the language, and feeding them f- the food was a way by which uh, they were able to uh, change ultimately who they are, take them away from their heritage as Israelites. And so that's where we pick it up in verse 8 uh, in that space as they are trying to figure out what to do uh, with this process. So Daniel 1, uh, beginning with verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the royal rations of food and wine, and so he asked the palace master to allow him not to defile himself. We're going to pause right there. So Daniel, of course, with his friends, have been uh, taught the language, their names have been changed, and they're being offered this royal food and wine. And Daniel chooses that this is the place he's going to resist. This is the place he's going to speak back against power and say, I choose, I would rather, he actually does it very very politely, I would rather not defile myself with the food of the king. Uh, Now there are a lot of reasons that this might be the case. Uh, There are a lot of reasons that that food he might want to reject. One would be simply uh, that it's not kosher. Uh, kosher in that culture, of course, means that it's not uh, tied to the dietary laws of the Jewish people. I'm going to invite you to flip with me, if you would, back to Leviticus chapter 11. We really will jump around scripture this morning. Uh, Leviticus, Leviticus is the third book of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. It is the law book of the Jewish people. And in the law book, there were laws around food. And I want to simply read from Leviticus 11, uh, 1 through 12. This is what Moses says. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, From among all the land animals, these are the creatures that you may eat. Uh, Any animal that has divided hoofs and is cleft-footed and chews the cud, such you may eat. Now, I'm not a farmer, so I need help with this, but thankfully Leviticus continues to help me out with it a little bit. Uh, But among those that chew the cud or have divided hoofs, you shall not eat the following. The camel... For even though it chews the cud, it does not have divided hoofs, it is unclean for you. The rock badger, for even though it chews the cud, it does not have divided hoofs, it is unclean for you. The hare, for even though it chews the cud, it does not have divided hoofs, it is unclean for you. The pig, for even though it has divided hoofs and and cleft-footed, it does not chew the cud, so it is unclean for you. Now, I will say, when I first read this, I, I got through the first three animal descriptions, and I said, camel, I'm good. I don't eat camel. Rock badger, that one either. You know, I don't even eat much rabbit. So, like, I think I'm doing well. And then I get to that last one, and I had flashbacks to the men's barbecue (laughs) and and realized that this would be a problem for me. Uh, But let's continue. (laughs) Of their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall not touch. They are unclean for you. And then it jumps to verse 9. These you may eat of all that there are in the waters, everything in the waters that has fins and scales, whether in the seas or in the streams, such you may eat. But anything in the seas or the streams that does not have fins and scales, of the swarming creatures in the waters, and among all other living creatures that are in the waters, they are detestable or unclean to you. And detestable they shall remain. Of their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall regard as detestable. Everything in the waters that does not have fins and scales is detestable to you. We're going to flip back to Daniel 1. Uh, But in Leviticus you see these patterns, and in that place particularly, the, the, the challenge for me is not fish. Fish I love, fish we eat. Uh, shrimp, I also love and eat, along with crab, uh, neither one of which would do very well in this, in this setting. Now, as people that love the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians we read several months ago, we are reminded that all things God created are clean, 
And there is a, a place where, where Paul Peter begins to redeem some of these things. Uh, but we are, that is part of what is possible in this place. That is, Daniel is looking at the food on the king's table. Uh, many of it was likely uh, not under the same authority as the Levitical law. And so Daniel could certainly have been saying simply, I, do, I choose not to eat that, so I'm not eating unclean things. Now, the other likely scenario is that Daniel is looking at this food and realizing that many of the meat of the time, much of the meat of the time, is meat that is sacrificed to idols in the temples. And any meat that is partaken, particularly in the royal courts, was likely sacrificed. And as we learned last week, there are several gods in Babylonian culture, the god of Baal, Nebo, Aku, and many others. And so Daniel also may have been choosing to avoid those foods as he chooses not to defile himself. So there's, there's your history for, uh, for today. Let's jump to verse 9. Now God allowed Daniel to receive favor and compassion from the palace master. And the palace master said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king, for he has appointed your food and your drink. If he should see you in poorer condition than the other young men of your age, you would endanger my head with the king. Now notice there, the palace master is not so worried about Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. He's worried about himself. He says, if I ruin some of these perfectly good specimens from the Jewish people, uh, I might be in trouble. So you should do what I say. Anyway, just a good, good note there. Then Daniel asked the guard, whom the palace master had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Again, you notice that they will not eat anything that is of meat. You can then compare our outer appearance with the appearance of young men who eat the royal rations and deal with your servants according to what you observe. So he agreed to this proposal and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was observed that they appeared better and fatter than all the young men who had been eating the royal rations. Uh, Now, I would tell you, if you're looking to do the Daniel diet to get a bikini shape for the summer, uh, you may notice there that they actually not only look better, but they were, uh, let's say, more healthy. (laughs) Word of warning. So the guard continued to withdraw their royal rations and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. And to these four young men, God gave knowledge and skill in every aspect of literature and wisdom. Daniel also had insight in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time that the king had set, them, set for them to be brought in, the palace master brought them into the presence of Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among them all, no one was found to compare with Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they were stationed in the king's court. And every matter of wisdom and understanding concerning which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel continued there to the first year of King Cyrus. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So there are two questions that come up for me as I read these passages that I think relate to us this morning. There are several things happening here, but two I want to focus on. Uh, The first is, uh, what does Daniel do? What are the tasks that he takes on? What, what behaviors does he choose to engage in? And the second one is, with whom does Daniel do it? So what does Daniel do? What behaviors does he take on? And with whom does Daniel uh, do it? So what does Daniel do? One of the things I appreciate about Daniel, and we'll see this throughout this book as we study it together this summer, is that Daniel is in a foreign culture. Uh, Daniel's in a place where there are people with authority over him. He has a boss and a boss's boss and a boss's boss. He has the guard over him, as well as the chief eunuch, Ashpenaz, as well as Nebuchadnezzar. There are people with authority over him. He has no rights in this place. He's a foreigner in this land. He's in a foreign culture with foreign food and a foreign language. He has all these cultural pressures, and many of them 
are actually pulling him away from the very God who he worships, the God he serves, and the family heritage that he's been brought up in. Everything he knows to be true, everything he claims to form his identity is being challenged uh, by these outside cultural forces. And when Daniel responds, again, and again, you'll see this behavior throughout the whole book, Daniel always begins with himself. Daniel chooses not to try to fix the guard, not to try to fix uh, Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, not to try to fix Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel begins with his own personal things that he can control. He begins with his diet. He begins with the things that he can reject, the things that he can control, the things that he does have power over. And as I began to reflect on this for my own life, it became super important to, to begin to flip my imagination on how I also live as a person who exists and rests in culture. You know, often, my immediate reaction when I have something wrong or when something's challenging my own behavior or my own actions or my own ethic, it's my tendency uh, to blame the other person. Like, I just, I just like, I mean, that's just who we are. I think it's human nature. I'm a parent. I have two children. Uh, they're 10 and 8. You hear me talk about them often. Uh, when I have a lack of patience, I tend to blame them for being the reason that I have a lack of patience. Now, it is their fault that I have a lack of patience. They do lots of things that test my patience. Uh, they like to talk from the moment we get into the car to the moment we get out of a car. There is no quiet. It is why God invented DVD players for long car rides. But rather than me say that it's my issue, it's my problem, it's my challenge, that I need to learn patience, that I need to learn to be more patient with children who honestly are amazing kids, I choose to blame them for the, the lack, the, the, the outside pressure that forces me to be impatient. It is their fault that I am less like Christ. You know, when it comes to my own, my own uh, holiness or my own ungratefulness, maybe I, you know, I look at my spouse perhaps. Again, my, my wife is amazing. If you know my wife, you know uh, that I married way above my status. That she is an amazing woman. She is incredible, incredible in so many things. She is smart and pretty and brilliant. And this is being podcast, correct? Yeah, good. <clears throat> but she's amazing. But I know there are times where, where when I feel like I'm not being appreciated or when I feel like there's things that I'm doing that aren't being noticed, then, then I begin to blame her for not noticing how great of a husband I am. And then I become ungrateful because she's not grateful enough. And so, and it creates this cycle in us where, where I blame the other for my behavior. Or, you know, at work, we do this as well. We blame our boss, we blame our coworkers for our lack of productivity. It's very easy for us to get in a pattern where we allow the things around us, the people around us, the relationships around us to be actually the things that we blame, that we cast blame upon, rather than begin to look inside first. Rather than begin to look at who we are and how we might change so that we might more reflect the people God's calling us to be. If I were to spend time paying attention to my own character, my own soul, my own spiritual health, my own physical health, my own emotional health, maybe I might be a better dad or a better husband or a better coworker or a better friend. But it begins with me. For Daniel, it always begins with Daniel. It always begins with what can Daniel fix in himself to make him more reflect the character of the people that he left behind. That's Daniel's action. The second question is with whom do we do this? Who are the people around us? Again, one of the things I love about this book is that it is always you know, Daniel and Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. The book is named for Daniel, but there are these three friends who are constantly journeying with him. There are three friends who are in this 
battle with him. Daniel never does it alone. Shad, we come to know Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're the more common names that we know them by. They're Babylonian names. And throughout this whole book, we see them walk through this life in a way that because they are together, they are able to do things together that they may not otherwise be able to do alone. The with whom we do this with is so important as we strive to figure out what it means to be holy and to reflect Christ uh, in this life. Uh, throughout the series, I have been uh, meeting with several folks. One of them is a guy named Jeff Babcock. Uh, many of you may know Jeff. Jeff and his wife Holly and their family have been members of this church for a long time. Jeff teaches one of our Sunday school classes and has been uh, involved in helping us rebuild some discipleship systems in this church. We're, we're beginning a, a new journey with he and Becky and, and several folks on that team. And I asked Jeff some of these same questions as we were preparing for this series. And Jeff began to tell me some stories about, about what it means for him to choose what's most important and with whom he does it with. And I thought it would be very helpful for us to hear some of those stories this morning. So we've got a little video on a watch of Jeff sharing these stories. For many, many years, I struggled with a lot of health issues, um, you know, weight, stress, that sort of thing. And um, I tried a lot of different methods to try to um, help with those. Um, those uh, problems that I had kind of manifested themselves in some heart issues, and so my doctor told me that I needed to get serious, that I needed to stop yo-yoing. Um, you know, I tried virtually every diet out there. Um, none of them really worked for me very well, and so I would try it, I'd be serious about it, and then I would give up on it, and I would yo-yo, just, you know, going back and forth. And um, I finally, um, you know, had the motivation to really get serious about it when the doctor said that um, uh, my heart was showing some signs of uh, decay, and I needed to, to really get serious about it. And so I found a method that really worked well for me. Um, I'm just going to call it, for lack of a better term, a, the portion control diet. Um, and I you know, limit my portion sizes and the number of portions uh, every single day. And uh, over the course of a couple years, I lost the weight that I uh, needed to lose. And over the past uh, five years, I've maintained it. Uh, so that's, uh, that's really been a, a big transformation, um, getting that burden off of my body uh, so that I can, you know, um, be free to, to live my life uh, with, uh, without some of those long, longer-term fears about what might be happening with my heart. Um, just like my physical health, my spiritual health was uh, in a lot of ways the same way, a lot of yo-yoing. Um, you know, when you take, you know, the family pressures, the work pressures, um, all the things that you have to do, you know, you don't really have time to pay much attention to your spiritual health. And even though I like everybody who does a lot of things. You know, I um, participate a lot in you know, church events. I serve the Lord a lot in, in things. I teach class. Uh, still, there was something missing. You know, a part of my spiritual health was just not right. I joined a accountability group. It's an online group. Um, there's a bunch of us, men and women from all over the country, that you know we gather once a week online, and we talk about our spiritual journey and you know where our challenges are. And this gentleman in the group, he identified that quite possibly the biggest gap that I had was that I wasn't engaged in reading the Bible on a regular basis. And he said, um, probably the best thing you can do is try to do that. So just like with diets, I tried every method on the planet. Um, I yo-yoed. <laughs> and um, uh, I finally came upon a method through him called the 40-Day Bible Reading Challenge. He said, let's make it easy. Just read a chapter a day for 40 days. Any book, 
any day of any time of the day, and I'll be your partner in this. So we'll, we'll each read a chapter a day, and then we'll just pick a verse or two that speaks to us, and we'll send it to each other on a daily basis. And uh, we can, you know, comment on it back and forth if we if we like, but if we don't, no big deal. And um, that was just absolutely life changing. Um, I've been in a perpetual state of 40-day Bible challenges since then. Um, not only with one person, but right now I'm engaged in five different 40-day Bible study uh, challenges because I keep challenging others. And um, it's amazing. Um, I often told my doctor when he said, reduce your stress, how do you do that? You know, because I got work, I got family, I got this, I got that. How do you do that? It's impossible. And I'm amazed, truly amazed, that um, you know, where I used to feel feel it in my heart, the stress in my heart, I don't feel that anymore. Um, because I'm in the Bible, literally every single day. 15 minutes, that's all I'm in it, really, and it's made a world of difference. So my physical health, my spiritual health are really kind of, you know, aligned. And um, I really recommend the same thing to anybody. You know, stop yo-yoing. Um, just find a method that works for you that you can do every single day um, and, and just spend the time to do it. And when you feel like you're being challenged and, and making it happen that day, just pray or reach out to somebody who's uh, your partner and have them just give them. Jeff experienced uh, what I think a lot of us experience as we try to look inward. Uh, we experience what he called yo-yoing. Uh, whether it's our physical health or our spiritual health or our emotional health or our relational health, we will sometimes uh, engage in practices, engage in disciplines where we, we get healthy for a while and then we, we swing back the other way or we, you know, we may lose some weight and then gain it back or we might uh, enter into disciplines of scripture or of prayer or of worship and then find ourselves out of those patterns. And one of the things that I appreciate about Jeff's story, and I think the story for many of us, is that one of the, the calls and invitations that we have as we begin to evaluate or where in our lives, what in our lives need to be transformed? Or what in our lives need to link us back to God or to God's people or to these relationships or this spiritual life? Is that he just chose to, and found a pattern by which he might engage in these predictable rhythms. These rhythms by which, uh, whether it's every week or every day, that you're doing things that allow us to engage in healthy patterns. And in those healthy patterns, those become sustainable patterns. And in sustainable patterns, you might find a long-term health. And so here's my challenge for us this morning. My challenge is simply this, as we look at all the things that, that pressure our lives, our relationships, the busyness of our lives, our work perhaps, uh, perhaps uh, just the, the, the everyday challenges, the doctor visits, the other things that we engage in, uh, that all the things that, that, that come into us, the first thing I would ask is what in us might need to change? What in our personal lives might need to change by which we might be healthier so that we might reflect Christ more fully in those spaces? in our workplaces, in our families, and with our spouses, with our kids, with our, with our parents, whatever it may be, that we might reflect more fully Christ. How, how might we need to change? And what patterns might we take on, whether it be our diet, either physical or spiritual? What patterns might we take on that might help us to become and reflect more like the people God created us to be? And the second question is, with whom will you do this? We were designed to be in relationship. We are designed to be in community, and my expectation, my, my hope is that many of us are already in relationships. We are already in places where we might be able to journey with people together, whether it's a weekly Bible study or accountability group, whether it's uh, with our families or our spouse or, or our friends, whatever that space may look like, our neighbors, our coworkers, that we create space that we might take on these disciplines together with people who might journey with us. 
I think it's in that together, in that mutual gathering, that we might find these patterns that are sustainable uh, for us to grow and look uh, more like the people God created us uh, to be. I want to pray for us this morning, and then we'll continue uh, in our worship. Almighty God, we do uh, give you thanks. Uh, We thank you for the witness of people like Daniel and Hananiah and Azariah and Michelle. We thank you for the witness of people like Jeff and the witness of so many others, even in this room today, who have chosen uh, to look first inward, uh, to then change their behavior as they then impact those around them. And that we know in that inward spiritual and physical and emotional and relational health that we might then find the power and the peace to be a people who reflect you. And in reflecting you, we might simply transform those around us. That this world may begin to look more and more like your kingdom. Lord, give us that courage, give us that power, and let your Holy Spirit rest with us that we might reflect you in everything we do. In Christ's name, amen.